Let's pray. Father, as we come today, we are reminded that your word calls us to worship you with joy and with gladness, not begrudging and not worried. And so we confess that as we come this morning, it's so easy for us to be distracted. It's so easy for us to be weighed down with worry and with care. It can be so it can be easy for us to be weighed down by outrage and anger cynicism. And so, God, I pray that this morning that you would change our hearts and fill us with joy and gladness so that we can worship you from a, from hearts that are full as we look at the world and look at our world and say the Lord reigns here in this world. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that worship you this Christmas season, that we wouldn't just settle for uh, going through the motions, that we wouldn't just settle for having Bible verses slapped on our holiday, but God, I pray that we would have deep and lasting joy that leads us to worship. God, I pray today that you would cause all of us to know that you, the Lord, are God. There is nobody beside you, and it is so easy in our, in our hearts and our lives to have other idols, to worship at other altars, and to think that other people or other situations, other dreams and goals will save us, will make us safe, and will make us happy. So God, I pray that you would help us to know that you, the Lord, are God, no matter what our days hold, whether they are calm and easy or whether they are difficult and, and wearisome. God, I pray that you would help us to each of us here, that we would know in our hearts that you are the Lord in our situation, exactly where we are at, that nobody threatens you, nobody slows you down, Nobody distracts you or deflects what you want to do. God, I pray that you would help us to know and to believe this truth. God, I pray that you would remind us that you made us and so we belong to you. You call us your own, your very precious possession, your treasured possession. I pray that you would use that to give us security today. That we would be secure in knowing that we, like us, the real us, are your treasured possession. And you're not going to lose us along the way. You're not going to forget about us and wonder what happened to us. But instead, we are your treasures. And so you will take care of us. You will go searching for us when we're lost. You will celebrate over us when we're found. God, I pray that today you would remind us once again that we are yours and the sheep of your pasture. And so I pray that you would use that to, to give us hearts and lives that worship not just worship when, when there are certain songs, not just worship in a certain place, but God, hearts that like love you and overflow with joy and with worship moment by moment, day by day. God, I pray that you would, would fill our hearts with the knowledge that you are good and that your love endures forever. I pray, we pr I pray today for those that are sick. I pray especially for Dave and Missy down in St. Louis. As he's going through new treatment, and he's tired, and he's sick, he's excited, but wondering how this is going to turn out. God, I pray that you would fill Dave and Missy with the knowledge that you are good and your love endures forever. God, I pray that you would fill them both with a deep satisfaction and joy that they can worship where they are because they are your sheep. And you don't lose your sheep. And you don't forget about them. You don't let them starve. God, I pray that you would give wisdom to the doctors there and to the nurses, that you would give them skill as they do this new round of treatment. 
God, I pray for others in our church who are also coming back from being sick. We pray uh, for Maureen as she's recovering from her broken hip and for Bonnie and for Janie and the whole family as they're caring for her and helping her. God, I pray that you would fill them all with a deep knowledge that you are good and your love endures forever, even on this road. I pray that you would that you would bear them up and give them strength. Fill them with joy and with worship right where they are. God, I pray that you would remind them that your faithfulness has continued and will continue through all generations. I pray for others in our church today, God, who, who carry their own burdens, their own situations. They don't know how it's going to work out. Their, their own relationships. They don't know how to reconcile. Their own financial struggles that they don't know how, what will do, what will fix it. God, I pray that you would remind them today that you are good and your faithful love endures forever. God, I pray for those that are struggling with fear and despair and depression today. I pray, Lord, that in the middle of the, the darkness and the fog that those can, can bring with them, I pray that you would shine the light of your goodness and faithfulness. So that those who struggle and who limp and who wonder how long, oh Lord, God, I pray that you would shine your light declaring to the darkness that you are good and your faithful love endures forever. God, I pray for the, the families that live around us here in Manchester and around the communities around us. God, I pray that this Christmas season would not just be another season of red and green and, and Christmas songs. And parties, but God, I pray that this Christmas season, more and more people around us would hear the good news announced at Christmas, leading to Calvary, and then one day leading to glory, that your faithful love endures through all generations. God, I pray that through our church, many kids and families, many adults would hear the good news of the gospel and would respond to it, would hear the gospel and trust in Jesus, repent and trust in Jesus. God, I pray through the, our brother and sister churches around us this season, I pray that your word would be declared clearly. That your character would be known. And God, I pray that many people around us who have never heard the good news of the gospel would hear it clearly for the first time. And that Holy Spirit, you would help them to believe it. That it belongs to them. I pray all of these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you afraid of this Christmas? We don't usually name the things that we're afraid of for other people. But as we are here today, most of us have something or things in our, in our hearts that we're actually afraid of. Whether we would call it fear or not. We might just call it concern. I've got a friend whose fear is that he will die, or I'm sorry, that his wife will die before he does. Because he's like, I have nobody that can care for me with the kind of care that she gives me. And I have no idea where I would turn if she died first. For you, it could be finances. There could, there's something that's coming. And you just go, I, I got to make sure that I'm going to be okay. And that the money is not going to run out. And that I don't retire too early. Could be your health. Your own health could be death is the fear for you. Maybe this morning, it could be a, a politician or a leader or a world government 
there's some, more than likely, there's something in your own heart that, happened, that could happen to a family member that has you today going, I don't know that I could bear that. That's the thing, whether it's a concern or you just know it's a fear. What is the thing today here at Christmas that you're afraid of? Maybe it's being alone for the rest of your life. Today, we're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah to see what God's presence at Christmas says to our fear. We go into Christmas and just, if you're like me, baby Jesus in a manger, we know that it leads to the cross and the empty tomb and glory. But today, as we've been walking in this series called Emmanuel, God with Manchester, we're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah that says what God's presence, specifically at Christmas, says to our fear. So go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35 comes in the middle of the book of judgment in Isaiah. Somebody told me last week, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon from 1 Kings. Well, now we're in Isaiah. This series has we've been walking through the Old Testament, seeing what God's presence is promised and teaches us leading up to Christmas. Well, now in Isaiah 35, it's in this, what, what some people call the book of judgment. Isaiah kind of has two sections. Isaiah 1 through 39, the book of judgment, that says God is going to judge Israel for their sin. And then Isaiah 40 to 66, that is the book of salvation, that says God is not done with you, Israel. But we would expect to go there for a, maybe a lesson about God's presence. But I want to show you in Isaiah 35 this this promise from God in the middle of all of these words of judgment. These are stories that where God is promising Israel, because of your sin, you're going to be exiled. Because you have turned your back on me, God says, I'm going to send your country into exile. And then in the middle of that, we get Isaiah 35. I'm going to read it, verses 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. 
They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Let's pray. God, as we come into this Christmas season, our fear is still there. I pray, God, that you would use your word in the promised and fulfilled Messiah to declare to our hearts, do not fear. I pray you would use your truth today to drive that fear out. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 35 speaks to us here at Christmas, speaks about the presence of God and is calling to you and I today. It says this Christmas, do not fear. This Christmas, do not fear. I want to show you from this passage four reasons not to fear this Christmas. Four reasons not to fear this Christmas. First, do not fear because Emmanuel will come personally to save. Look at verses 1-4. to four. He, this, this prophecy from Isaiah starts with this, the desert and the parched land and the wilderness are going to have joy. It's a big deal because I told you this is the section, verses, or chapters 1-39, through 39, that is the book of judgment that says because of sin, God cannot turn His back on it, is not going to ignore it. Israel, you're about to go into exile. But then in the middle of this, Isaiah interrupts it and says, but the wilderness and the exile and those desert places in your life are one day going to blossom. One day joy is coming, he says, but I want you to notice why. He says joy is coming. The crocus, or maybe your translation says the rose, is going to burst into bloom. Why is it going to do that? Because verse 4 says, your God will come. So it's so easy for us to look at the Old Testament and kick Israel and just be like, why couldn't you get it together? Why couldn't you just do better? And we kind of read through it thinking there is only judgment here. But here, tucked away in Isaiah chapter 35, God says, one day joy is coming, Israel. Yes, the Israel that's going into exile. Yes, the Israel that is disobeyed. Yes, the Israel that is abandoned God. He says, one day joy is coming because the glory of the, because they will see the glory of the Lord. Verse 2. Because the splendor of our God is coming. God Himself is going to come personally to save. This is the promise. In this series, as we've been walking through Genesis and then Exodus, And then 1 Kings, we've been walking through the Bible and we see the Old Testament has this constant promise, God is going to come and save. And so this passage where the command is, strengthen your feeble knees, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. The command comes because he says, because God is going to personally come and save. God Himself is going to personally deal with the issue that Israel has. God Himself is going to personally come and save. And I want you to notice something really, I think is really important in verse 4. He says, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He says, He's going to come and He will save you. And that's important. 
Because throughout the Bible, the word for God saves or He will save, it shows up in the Old Testament with, in the word Joshua. And then it shows up in the book of Isaiah as the word we see in English, Isaiah. And it shows up in the prophet Hosea with the same word, Hosea. Each of these terms means, is the same word, we just in English like to separate them so we don't get confused. But each of them, it's the same word used over and over. He will save you. He will save you. God himself is going to save you. Here he says, Israel, God himself is going to come and save you. It's the same word when we get to the New Testament we see in the word Jesus. Throughout the Bible, the term, He will save you, He will save you, is repeated over and over and over. And then when God comes Himself, He says, and you will name Him Jesus. Where Jesus takes this, these, this verse and all of these verses that use this term and says, all of those promises were promises about Me. Israel, joy is going to come. The the desert is one day going to blossom and is going to bloom. One day because I am personally going to come and I will personally come and save you. Which means that Emmanuel reminds us to not fear because God comes personally to save us. Came personally to save us in history. He didn't, there are many times he sent angels to to do his bidding. There are many times that he used kings to do his bidding. But here in this passage, God promises his people and says, one day, joy is coming. Do not fear. I am coming to save you. So this Christmas, what do you have to fear if Emmanuel personally comes to save you? If the king of all kings who sits on his throne, who tells kings and armies what to do and where to go, who the one who causes the sun to rise day after day, who controls the seasons and the storms, the one who can still a storm and raise the dead and heal the sick and open the eyes of the blind, if he says, I have come to save you, what do you have to fear today? What news could come in the mail? What bill could come if he says, I'm going to save you? What diagnosis could a doctor give if Emmanuel says, I personally am going to come and save you? What aloneness could you end up having if God Himself says, I am coming for you? What do you have to fear? What do you have to fear? I'm reminded of Luke 19.10 where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's my job, Jesus says. I came here to do and fulfill all of the promises of the Old Testament. I I have come to save my people. It's not an incidental thing. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 15 where Jesus tells three stories. What is God like? He's like a woman who loses a coin and goes searching until she finds it and celebrates. What is God like? It's like somebody who loses a sheep and leaves everything else behind to go and save it. What is God like? He's like a father who stands looking for his child who has gone astray to welcome them home before they can finish their apology. This Christmas, what do you have to fear if this is what God is like? If 
God himself personally came to save you. Second, second reason not to fear this Christmas is do not fear because Emmanuel transforms. Look at verses 5 to 7. It says, Then he will open the eyes of the blind. Oh, I'm sorry. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Here he's just named like the blind, they're going to see. The deaf are going to hear. Lame people will not be lame anymore. Those who can't speak are going to speak. People are going to be transformed. Here he says, then he turns to nature. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground, bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Here, God promises through Isaiah that when Emmanuel comes, everything will be transformed. Physical infirmity will not be a threat or a challenge to him anymore one day. Here he says wildernesses are not going to be a challenge to him one day. Burning sands are not going to be a challenge to him when he comes because the king that is coming, Emmanuel, transforms. A few weeks ago, we looked at Genesis 3 to see what the presence of God shows up there. Here, I think in Isaiah 35, God says, I am going to unmake the curse. Jesus Himself is going to come and unmake the curse of the ground. Jesus Himself is going to come and He's going to unmake the curse that is on people. One day, Emmanuel is going to come and transform. And so what do you have to fear? If that's Emmanuel this Christmas. What do you have to fear in your wilderness? Whatever that looks like. Maybe it's you're afraid a family member is going to get that sickness that everybody else in their family has gotten. And you go, what if it happens again? This passage says, do not fear because Emmanuel comes and can transform your wilderness. Maybe you go, what if these headaches never end what if they get worse this passage says do not fear because jesus emmanuel who comes can transform any wilderness do not fear i'm reminded of the song we just sang joy to the world that says that he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found that's what he says here one day this curse is going to be completely unmade because God Himself is going to do it. Not because Israel obeyed enough to do it, because God says, in your exile, in your wilderness, I will meet you there and I'll transform it. So when we look at the life of Jesus, it's not an accident. He goes opening the eyes of the blind and healing the lame and loosing the tongues of those who can't speak Sticking his fingers in the ears of the deaf. Because he's saying, look at what I'm transforming. So do not fear any wilderness that God leads you into. Because he can transform. So this passage says, do not fear for your kids or your grandkids. Because there is no wilderness that they will wander into that the Lord cannot redeem. 
Do not fear that this wilderness that they've been in for so long is the only place they can ever be because Emmanuel comes and transforms those places. As far as the curse is found, Emmanuel transforms. Do not fear. The third reason not to fear this Christmas is do not fear because Emmanuel protects. Look at verses 8 and 9. In that wilderness, he says, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. No ravenous beasts. They will not be found there. Only the redeemed will walk there. Here, as he speaks about Israel on this journey of life, They're going into exile and the wilderness. And he says, but the wilderness is going to become a highway, not the place you dwell forever. This wilderness is going to play a place to travel through, not the place to make your life. And so do not fear that though you're in the wilderness, you're going to be stuck there forever. God himself will come and protect in that wilderness. I want you to notice how ways he says he'll protect. He says, no lion is going to be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. You are going to go into exile. You're going to go into deserts in your life. And there are going to be threats. And you're going to think, how am I going to make it through? And here, the Lord says, I am going to protect you so that that desert that you go through, that fear that you're going to face, is not going to bind you forever. Nothing is going to touch you without my permission. He says, I am coming to you. I am going to go with you. I am going to protect you. And so do not fear. Do not fear because God is with you going through whatever desert you're going through this Christmas or whatever desert 2024 might hold. If the next 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years holds a wilderness. This passage says Emmanuel, when he comes, and he has come in Matthew chapter 1, we see that because he has come, God is going to be right there protecting you from any lion that wants to devour, that wants to attack, that wants to ruin you, that wants to take everything, rob everything from you. Here he says, I will go with you. There will be no lions that are going to threaten you. So this Christmas, as we, you go in through whatever it is, whatever fear you have, whatever uncertainty you have, here God says, do not fear because I will protect you. I'm going to stand in between those lions and you. I'm going to make sure that that wilderness becomes a highway, not a dwelling place. Do not fear. This is the pattern if we would see it. The book of Deuteronomy has this interesting sermon from Moses who tells the people of Israel, God was with you in a cloud, right there in the camp with you. You come up to the edge of the promised land. You go and you look at the land that God has promised you, and you come back and say, the giants are too big. The land that the Lord promised to us, we can't take it. They saw with their eyes the cloud at that moment. 
The Lord hadn't departed from them at that moment. They still had the presence of God, and yet they were blind to the fact that the God that was with them would defend them. You and I must have eyes to see Emmanuel at Christmas is here to protect us. Not simply to give us morals, not simply to give us good advice on how to live, but the baby in the manger, the man who goes to the cross, who rises from the dead at Christmas reminds us, I am protecting you from all danger. Your safety is now my business. Will you have eyes to see it? And then the fourth reason for us to not fear this Christmas. Fourth reason not to fear this Christmas is do not fear because Emmanuel brings joy. Do not fear because Emmanuel brings joy. This kind of brings the whole chapter full circle. Starts with joy and then it comes here. Look at verse 10. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion Shrugging their shoulders. They will enter Zion hanging their heads. No, he says, they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Christmas means that joy is coming. He doesn't come just so that we can kind of skate through and make it through. Christmas is an announcement that when Jesus comes, gladness and joy come and chase His people down. That's, that's I think, important because look at verse, the end of verse 10. He says, gladness and joy will overtake them. Your translation might put it, will chase them down. Like an army that chases down its enemies. He's already said lions aren't going to chase you. Instead, he says, gladness and joy are going to chase you. I don't know about you, but I would like that this Christmas. This Christmas, I would like to know deep in my heart that no matter where I go or how, what, no matter what happens in life, gladness and joy are right behind me, going to chase me down. And here God promises that's what's coming. He says, you look back and you think it's lions. You look back and you think it's some threat. But God says, no, it's gladness and joy that's going to come. And then he uses that kind of military phrase again. And sorrow and sighing, they're going to flee. Grief is going to run when Emmanuel comes. This is like this new exodus that God is going to lead His people out of the wilderness, out of the exile. They're going to come singing. They're going to have everlasting joy like crowns on their head. And instead of Pharaoh behind them, it's going to be gladness and joy back there. It's going to be sorrow and sighing that are banished forever. That is what Christmas is about. The phrase, it's been used several times in uh, chapter 35, is this like joy upon joy. Ringing cries are coming. The cheers and deep satisfaction is what's going to come. And so Christmas is a call to you and I. Do not fear. Do not fear because joy is going to chase you down. And Christmas is the announcement of that. That we have it in part because Jesus has come once and when He comes again, we will have the full thing. Right now we have it as a deposit. Right now we have a deposit on joy. But we don't have the whole thing. He says, do not fear. 
Emmanuel brings joy. God's purpose at Christmas is to bring joy. Not to simply bring commands. Not simply to to get some people to behave. God's not here simply to whip some people into shape. It's an announcement that to people like Zacchaeus, joy is coming. Like the woman with the issue of blood, joy is coming. To the Samaritan woman who's been used and cast aside, who has sinned and been sinned against, joy is coming, Samaritan woman. The lame, joy is coming. Those with demon-possessed children, joy is coming, Jesus announced. He says, Sinners and self-righteous like Nicodemus, joy is coming. Tax collectors like Matthew, joy is coming. The rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament is an announcement that joy is coming to the rich and the poor. All sinners, those that are excluded by their birth, those that have been excluded because they've sinned against God, All of us, joy is coming. Come and receive Jesus. Receive Emmanuel. Come and receive the joy that God is offering. As we see in this passage, sadness at Christmas is going to flee. God's purpose is joy. This is not the only passage where we see that. In Psalm 67 verse 4, it says that God says, Let the nations be glad. Not let the nations behave, let the nations be glad. Revelation 21 says that joy is coming and I'm going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. Sadness and grief are going to flee when Emmanuel comes. So, we are not like Israel in exile, reading Isaiah 35 and longing for this to be true. We are right now celebrating Christmas after Emmanuel has come, which means don't fear. Joy is right now chasing you down. Not, don't take my word for it. I don't know what God's up to. I don't know the challenges and the temptation and the grief and the fear that's in your life. But I know that God says from Isaiah 35 that if you are in Christ Jesus, Emmanuel says gladness and joy will overtake you. And sadness and sorrow and sighing are going to flee. So Christmas says, don't fear. Don't fear. It doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter who's in our government. It doesn't matter what the finances look like. It doesn't matter Satan's temptations. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what you see in your kids. Emmanuel brings joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? So this passage calls us, do not fear. Do you do this? Do you live boldly because you know that Jesus came to save you, that he transforms, that he protects, that he brings joy? Or do you look to other people or things to protect you and give you joy? If you're here today and you're scared, where's the good news for you? The good news of Jesus is that he came and lived in our wilderness and then transformed it by his death and resurrection. Jesus made the water of eternal life well up out of the rock of his tomb. He's the only one who deserved protection then was unprotected and killed so that what he deserves can flow to you who take refuge in him. 
If you're scared today, know that Jesus knew grief. He stood at gravesides. He lived with compassion. And then he faced his own sorrow in his, in his death. And then he was raised back to life. Now sorrow and grief will not have the last word over the one who rose from the grave. Because of his victory over sin and death, he guarantees that gladness and joy will be chasing you down. And so do not fear. If you're in Christ today, don't fear. Christmas says, do not fear. But what if you're not in Christ? What if you're here today and you say, what is there for me? What can I do? How can I live a life without fear? How can I have this? This passage calls us to go to Jesus. The Bible tells us that judgment is ours because we've sinned against God. But Jesus came and lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die so that everybody who repents of sin and trusts in Jesus only to save them and says, I will follow you as my Savior and my Lord, then we can know that we have all of this. He will transform everything in our lives, every wilderness in our lives, even our death. He will transform and use that and give us eternal life. He is going to be the one who will protect us from all threats, all the lions in our lives. He's the one who promises to bring us joy and chase us down with it. And so if you today have never trusted in Jesus in that way, let today be the day to do that. Don't put it off. Don't just, ah. And don't say, everybody here thinks I'm a Christian. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't want people to think bad of me. Don't worry about what other people think about you. Come to Jesus and take from Jesus. Let today be the day of salvation for you. So this passage, it calls us today at Christmas to look to Emmanuel and not fear. I want you to imagine what a life without fear looks like for you. Imagine going through your day and you're not afraid. Not afraid of the future. Not afraid in the small things. Certainly not afraid in the big things. Imagine what changes in your home. If your home was a place without fear. Where your home was filled with these, this language of we're not going to fear because God comes himself to save us. He's the one who promises to transform every, every desert and wilderness in our lives. He's the one who's promised to protect us. And he's the one who promises to chase us down with joy. That's a different kind of home. Imagine what changes in if, our, if our church were not driven by fear. Imagine a fearless, what a fearless church looks like. We're not afraid of what might happen around us. We're not afraid of the, the culture that's around us. We're not afraid what might happen in the future. We are secure in the fact that nobody is going to stop Emmanuel. Sounds like a good news kind of church. Let's pray. God, you call us out of fear. I pray that you would give it to us. Holy Spirit, direct our hearts to Jesus today and use this season to settle the issue in our hearts. That you call us out of fear and you promise to protect us and transform us and to chase us down with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.